Welcome to the 10 Frame Podcast for Emerging Artists, brought to you from the downtown Savannah rooftop suites. My name is Kelly Thompson. And I am Kevin Kirkwood. And you can find us at the 10 Frame on Instagram and our Gmail, the 10 Frame at Gmail. You can find me at kellythompsonart.com and on Instagram at kellykthompsonart. And my website is kevinwillpaint.com and my IG is kevinkirkwood.studio. Thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. We have the opportunity to talk to a New York-born, Miami-based fiber artist, Regina Durante Gestro. She, as I said, works with fiber. I would equate it to quilt making, but we're going to dive a little deeper and get in you know, more depth of what that is. Regina, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Appreciate oh, it. And thank you for having me. Right on. <laughs> right off the top, where can everybody find you? What's your social media? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Regina Gestro. Um, I have my website, reginagestro.com. Sweet. So I, I was nosy and trying to prep for the show and went on your website. It looks like you did something in North Carolina recently, right? Yes. The show just closed. I had a two-person show at Artspace North Carolina in Raleigh. The curator there, Anna Lee, put me and Alan Rosenbaum. It was Artspace North Carolina. It's uh-huh. um, it's sort of like the Bakehouse, if you're familiar with that, but it's, it's a two-story. It used to be a car dealership, okay. like back in the 50s or something. Right. Um, but they also used to fix cars. So it's this really solid old building. Nice. Um, and so there's about uh, probably a dozen studios upstairs, a dozen studios downstairs, three gallery spaces all together. Okay. So me and Alan were upstairs. I had about uh, 12 or 13 of my works there. He had probably about the same. Okay. Um, and she put us together because we both use textiles in our work. And his his pieces are more about bones and cellular kind of forms Mm -hmm. and my work is all the series that that was showed there was the americana quilt series okay and i was kind of working with skin tones and flesh tones um so the two those two ideas of the body uh, brought our work together for her how big are the pieces for that show for that show they range um she picked out some ones that are about nine by twelve that's how i kind of get the big pieces started is that i make little sketches and then I'll make them a little bit bigger. And then when I feel comfortable enough to make a larger piece, the biggest piece in that show is probably 48 by 60, something like that, like a like a long quilt piece. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about your process. But yeah. let's before we do that, let's talk about you also have a show currently in Miami at Mount Sinai. Yes, at Mount Sinai. So Oolite Arts mm-hmm. collaborates with Mount Sinai, and they have a brand new surgical building with a hallway that's 175 feet long. It's beautifully lit. Mm-hmm. It connects to, I believe, another building. So the doctors, nurses, visitors, patients walk through this hallway constantly. There's little seating area. There's a little cafe. So it's kind of a real opportunity to show your work to people that don't normally experience artworks. And it's because my work is textile mm-hmm. based, it's more of a comforting thing. And I think that it, it's a really great fit for that, for that space. What kind of surgery? Whatever surgeries are happening in Miami. <laughs> but it's also a big cancer institute in, mm-hmm. in, on that uh, campus. So I'm, I know there's all types of things that, that happen there. 
I was only asking about yeah. that because um, a friend of mine takes, you have Trader Joe's in Miami, right? Yes. We don't have one in Savannah, but Trader Joe's donates a bunch of plants to her and she creates these flower arrangements and she places them for free at these oncology facilities oh. for people that are getting treatment yeah. for cancer. So I'm sure it really makes her day because she's helped. She also experienced, you know, a little bit of, she had to go through chemo and stuff like that. So it was nice to see that she appreciated, you know, the people that were giving to her, but also being able to return. And um, I've I'm gotten so much great feedback. Like even when we were installing the work, it was such a great conversation with, just peace passersby through yeah. the hallway it was just it, it's kind of a gift both ways it's like i'm giving them yeah. you know something comforting to look at you know, and there's so. something special you're maybe not making quilts i would say but from my, my grandparents my yeah. grandmothers <laughs> and my great-grandmothers they made quilts and i still you know sleep with them so it's like your work it's not just it's selfishly for you i'm sure because you enjoy doing it but it's giving back to people in a special way. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And it's connected to that history too. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how I started making quilts is for people to use for me to use for my yeah, nieces and that. nephews to use. I, I made one for Jason Giordano for his uh -huh. kid, for his firstborn. Um, and you would ask, I remember Regina and I've known each other for 10 years, at least it's been a while since we talked, but I remember back in the day you would invite people to give clothes so you could help. I would mend pe people's clothing. Yeah. So I still do that. I mean, I haven't mended something for somebody in a long time yeah. other than myself and my husband, but I, I like mending things for people. I, I collect like little, I, I collect fun fabrics just mm -hmm. for the purpose of like fixing things, right. you know? So, all right. That was something I wanted to talk about. The yeah. next thing was your process. You make your own materials or you dye your own fabric. I think a little bit of everything. I, uh, collect secondhand materials. I buy new materials if I need something specific, and I dye uh, our muslin uh, cotton materials. And then I, so I started the dyeing recently. I haven't really, really dyed before. Um, so I start, and it was during COVID when you really couldn't go out and talk to people about experimenting with things. So I figured out things online, and then I just collected materials from around my home. So in my front yard, we have these um, black olive trees, or abusitus, mm -hmm. and they stain everything. It's like they have really strong tannins, and they're all over the sidewalk and all over the cars. Um, so I took that and mixed it with uh, rust and made these really black and brownish like material. I used kind of the classical things I found online were like onion, avocado, I experimented with aloe, which doesn't do anything. Like, it turns black and then it goes away immediately. Mm -hmm. But what it does is leave the goo on the fabric. So when you re-dye it, you have this weird marbling from the goo from the aloe. So that's kind of cool. What's your favorite material or your favorite dyeing material? Probably the Bucida and mm -hmm. the, the black olive in the front yard. Just because it's so easy. And they're little tiny leaves. So when you do the bundle dyeing, you lay out the leaves on the fat on the wet fabric and you roll it up and you soak everything. It leaves such a great organic kind of pattern on the fabric that it's so like nice. every single one comes out different. It's right. exciting. And I've been using rust also. So I have a couple of rusty pipes that I found in my backyard and I wrap the fabric around those. So I get really beautiful brown rusty things. And then I started making my own rust and rust has the the color changes the older it gets mm -hmm. so when it starts kind of grayish bluish and then it ends up that brown kind of classical rust color so um and, and if you rinse the fabric it stops it stays that kind of grayish bluish color okay 
or you could mix it with other things. And so I've been mixing the rest of different things and it helps fix the material too. So it, it keeps it light fast. Nice. It's like, I've just been playing around, but or dying with organic materials, there's always like fading is an issue and fixing things are an issue. And I've used different spray varnishes to, to do things and I don't like using spray varnishes. Um, so just from working with you at Utrecht mm -hmm. and I have like tons of art supplies. So right. <laughs> I just have, so I've been using inks lately because they're already light fast. They're mm -hmm. already archival and they're easy to use and they're already there. So I've been using metallic inks, uh, sepia inks and India inks, just kind of figuring things out. So that's, I would say transitioning from or going from quilt making functional material or utilitarian yeah. objects to more of visceral, like an object that you would want to see on yeah, the wall. Yeah. Thing, right. Yeah. And I, the smaller pieces are used sometimes stretched on panels because they're easier to access as objects that way. Okay. You know, so if you make a tiny quilt, people want to make them as pot holders or table right. things, yeah. you know? So if you, when I was stretching them on panels, I still do, they, they turn into more of an object um, and more people apply more sophistication to them when they're stretched. Okay. So. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. My family is like in crocheting and... Yeah. So it's a difference of like crocheting potholders, you yeah. know, and then, and then taking those potholders and making a giant wall hanging with, you know, a bunch of them and, and, and how people, people still sometimes have that potholder thing to it, but it's, they use different materials, use wire instead of cotton or, or yarn, you know, and sometimes that makes a difference of craft versus capital C craft. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I get it. How do you hang your material onto the wall? Oh, I make my mounts. Um, so the, all of my pieces are kind of organically shaped. However, the, they're all geometric in nature. I use kind of classical historical geometric patterns, quilt patterns. And I let the patterns kind of dictate the shape of the pieces. So if I use a zigzag pattern, it's going to have like big triangles on the top and upside down triangles on the bottom. So I cut um, really thin plywood with a rotary cutter and then put a pocket behind the quilt and hang the pocket over. Um, lately I've been adding Velcro. So it, so the longer, wider pieces have Velcro also. So there's okay. Velcro um, hand stitched to, for like archival stuff, the Velcro is hand stitched to a uh, twill tape. Okay. Then the twill tape is hand stitched to the quilt. And then the uh, softer Velcro is attached to the wood mount and like just stapled. What's your color palette currently and what do you want it to look like in five years from now? Currently. So the body work at the hospital is kind of like what I've been doing currently. And I've been taking materials found in Miami or given to me by people in Miami um, and then combining them with the natural dyed stuff or stuff I use the India ink or sepia tone. So it's that blackish brownish fabric. I also have been burning fabric. So I have that burnt kind of edges to things yeah. because I don't know, it's like my reaction to all of the violence that was going on. And I wanted to get gunpowder and, and put gunpowder on fabric and see what happens. But that was a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> so a friend of mine told me, Hey, if you get one of those kitchen torches, you could control the burning better. So I got a kitchen torch and a spray bottle and in my backyard, um, trying not to set the house on fire, <laughs> burning fabric and spraying fabric. And, um, and that's been really fun. So it's like brownish burnt stuff. And this found right now it's really 
subtle. I have a couple of bright things, but all of the bright fabrics are matched with like gray or yeah. brown. And then I gave some a friend of mine a tour of the show and she pointed at one that was black and white. And she said, oh, that's really different. To me, it's not really different. I'm like, oh, it kind of is just instead of having black and white stripes, it's black and white kind of set next to each other. So it's, it's a little different. Yeah. So are you comfortable with that palette? Do you want to? Yeah, I really like black and jam, white. Yeah. yeah, I've been like the piece that I was really excited about in this hallway. I'm really wanting more to experiment with translucent, transparent materials, layering them. We just had our back porch rescreened. And so I got the scraps of the screen from the guy and the guy's like, what do you want screen for? And I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm going to use it. And he's like, okay. So I use uh, like screening material, mm -hmm. uh, chiffon, like really fun things lately. Yeah. So it's less about palette. You're, you're now exploring, not now, maybe you've always been doing it, but yeah, you always have, but little I know. Well, about, it's like. It's materials that you're going into. I'm, it's all about the materials for me. I'm experimenting with texture, experiment mm -hmm. with layering. Um, one artist I really love is Bisa Butler, and she does she does these art quilts, but they're all figurative. And are you familiar with Bisa no. Butler's? Oh my God, amazing. She does um, figurative portraits um, from historical images. And then in Art Basel, she just did the cover of a TLC album, but like life-size figures. Like, so it's TLC, the same size is a little bit larger than life-size, but in these beautiful, vibrant colors. So the skin tones dictate the personality of the person, not particularly skin tone. So it's like purples and oranges and yellows. It's amazing. But how she um, gets to those layers and those colors is that she layers the translucent fabrics on top of each other. So how she, shall she, and she's a painter. So it's the same way as layering paints or mixing mm -hmm. paints. She layers the fabrics and builds up these color tones. That's my next goal like <laughs> is to layer these colors to build up texture and build up co different colors yeah. and kind of make people question what they're looking at in a way. That, that's exciting to me because yeah. You already have the foundations, you have the tools, your career's, you know, on its way. On its and, way. That's good. <laughs> you're doing good things. And I like to hear that you're pushing it, you know. That's what happened too. It's like, so I had to make, so this hallway is 175 feet at Mount Sinai. And I had to get, I was invited to do it last February. So I had about 10 months to make 20 pieces of scale. Say that one more time. <laughs> I had 10 months to make 20 pieces wow. of scale. What's scaling? Well, my idea at the, when I first got invited to make pieces that were nine by nine feet, they ended up a little smaller because I had to get them done. But also it was a blessing because the way the hallway is situated when you're standing on it, the narrower ones, they're still about eight feet wide, but they're four by eight. They're more accessible in the hallway in the situation. So it, it totally worked. So I was really, really busy last yeah, year making like, like 20, 20, 20 pieces for this show and then figuring out how they were going to lay out and all this stuff. So I hung it the very first weekend of January. So since then, I've been just kind of figuring out what's next. Okay. You know, so that's why I'm You're like, breathing right yeah, now. I'm breathing right now, yeah, <laughs> playing good. with linen, playing with translucent fabrics. And what about, let's talk about your studio. What's it like? Is it, is it cluttered? Is it clean? Is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so because I collect 
fabric from different places like under the tables are usually like boxes from the giver of the person and it's just like filled with random things and and right now on the tables i got some leather some from some people that i don't know if i'm ever gonna use but it's beautiful and succulent it's like it's like delicious and it smells really good but the dogs also like them so they're on on the higher tables and then my cutting table when um utrecht got bought by blick in miami the manager called me and said, hey, we're replacing all the flat files. Do you want any? <laughs> I'm like, yes. So I got one set of flat files and I like gave like five other artists flat files. It nice. was like amazing. Nice. So I have flat files with a big wooden top on it and that's my cutting table. Um, so I have like two cutting mats and then I have like stacks of fabric kind of on the back edge. What about so music? What's cooking? Oh, um, you do when you're working? Sometimes you- it's dance music. It's usually dance music and then um if it's not music i have to have like something on that i'm used to like i can't have a like i don't know how people listen to podcasts while yeah. they work because i would just sit and pay attention to what the person's do. i can't do it because then i won't work right so i usually have like twin peaks on in the background we only have one listener so <laughs> it's all good you're gonna get more you're gonna get more <laughs> so it's always interesting Driving Asking. to podcast, driving to podcasts makes sense because you're just driving. But like yeah. working to podcasts, it's like I, I find it impossible. Uh. It's interesting to ask that question because mm. we get all over the place. You know, peace. I don't want anything. Yeah. Or dance music. I mean, yeah, all over the place. But I mean, I'm a child of the '90s. Usually, I'm like hip hop on from the '90s, or, uh-huh. or dance music from the early thousands, like from Miami, Miami music. You know, it's, yeah, or it's Twin Peaks, so over and over. <laughs> you mentioned Beatrice Butler. Is that do they get the name? Bisa right? Butler. Oh, Bisa Butler. Do you have any other people that you're kind of influenced by? I've been looking at um, Gego's work for a long, long time. Who's that? Gego is a Venezuelan German artist, Gertrude. Her real name is Gertrude. I can't remember her last name, but she goes by Gego. She's always gone by Gego. It was like a family name, and she just kept it. And she does these um, black and white drawings and black and white wire sculptures. And from the era that she's in, it's like the 60s, yeah, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, she was making work. And it's and that's kind of like, in Venezuela, it was when all the um, kind of architectural design work was going on. She had some, she was an architect first, okay. and then she started going into printmaking and drawing mm-hmm. and sculpture. You have to look at her. Oh, well. Yeah. Definitely. She doesn't make things like you make, but... but Spell it for me. You... G-E-G-O. I just got a book from her, she, you know, of her work, and it's, like, super exciting. Um, and then Liza Lu just... She put out a new book. and she, So Liza Lu got famous from her kitchen piece. So she, in graduate school or in undergrad, like, she dropped out of school. So I can't remember if it was undergrad or graduate school. She built this one-to-one scale of a functional kitchen, but it was all beaded things, all beads, all hand-glued objects. Crazy. I think it's owned by the Brooklyn Museum now, wow. and it's fantastic. But now she she took all of the elements and all of the she went in with a microscope with the beading, and now her focus is on like the pattern of the beads and what the beads. So she does these really minimal beaded pieces of just like white beads she has like an army of people that work for, for work for her do these strong beads her nose she takes those beaded things and like hammers them and throws paint on them mm-hmm. and they're really 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 exciting nice 
and Agnes Martin lately too. I, I got her book for Christmas. So. I think that's why my work is kind of getting more into like layering and translucencies and not and material and not so much about like color. Got it. Yeah. Because I keep looking at like how materials are working together. Even your current work, you don't make squares per se. No, it's, yeah. I would say it's kind of organic shapes, but or if, if it could be possible, linear organic shapes. It's like geometric organic. Geometric like geometric. I let the ge- geometry dictate the shape of the piece. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like the classical like log cabin patterns that spiral stripe kind of pattern and just getting it a little bit wonked out of shape and then letting that dictate what happens. And I worked at a survey company for two years during a little bit before COVID. And the guy who ran the office, he like wouldn't stop talking about triangles. And he learned that I was a quilter and I do, he saw my work and it's all about geometry. So him and I would just talk about triangles all day long. <laughs> it's yeah. just strange conversations with, with people that you don't necessarily think would be into strange conversations. In computer, in digital modeling, it's called triangulation. Yep. You can make any shape out make of it. Make anything so out of triangle. Yeah. yeah, and he did. I mean, he's 72 now. Mm. So he did surveying. He built 112. Okay. Um, he, he built the connection of 112 to I-95. Oh, wow. And he was out there on the highway with the drawing board mm-hmm. and with the all the old, old school surveying equipment. Yeah. And so it was fun to talk to him about how things were built and how the triangles work. And how to measure things, you know. Precision. Yeah. Is there things that you want to talk about? Like, um, uh, Well, or- the show at Mount Sinai is up through June 11th. So if anybody is in Miami, they come through and or they could contact me and I will happily give them a tour through the show because it's in a weird space and I'd love to walk people through it anyway. So yeah. I, I like doing that. You've had shows, just so everybody knows, you've had dozens of shows. Uh, well, I, my... F- my first solo show in a long time was uh, last year at Laundromat mm-hmm. Art Space in Miami. Um, Ronald was really great to work with. I, I made my friend Danny Tapia curate it because I think having a partner with a show, with a solo show is important. I think having somebody to bounce ideas off of someone who's not as invested in the pieces but loves your work is important to work with, I think. So I, I really feel like I collaborated with, with Danny to put that show together. That was my first solo show in a very long time. And like a real, it was my very first real solo show, I yeah. would say. And it was an art, artist-run space. I say dozens. Maybe I, I misspoke, but it, I know you've done a lot of shows, both solo and group, not only in South Florida or the Miami area, but in, in New York, I think, in Chicago, right? You've done some stuff. Um, I've had, yeah, I was part of group shows in yeah. New York and Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We joked around this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Yeah. Do you have any advice for emerging artists or people that are yeah, on the way? Yeah, uh, what did I say? Uh, somebody asked me the same question yesterday, and I was just like, I'm an emerging artist, so I, you know, I'm, I'm doing it right now. But if you're applying to residencies and calls, you know, keep applying. If there's some place in your heart that you think your work fits in and you get rejected, apply again, because the juries always change. Um, your work changes. I would keep applying and if something doesn't work have somebody read your 250 words for you and tell that have them edit it for you that's one reason i think i got a grant in 2020 i got an ellie's grant to get a long arm sewing machine and i i wrote a proposal and then i gave it to someone who who writes proposals or writes grants and she edited it and then i got it because it was so i think it takes a team to 
to to make things great to make things work you know so yeah so reach out get a proofreader <laughs> yeah, reach out to people don't so, give up keep, don't, keep putting one yeah. foot in front of the next and, and learn yeah just keep learning and keep being curious and yeah keep keep doing what you want to do and um i'm speaking for you but that's yeah. what i've learned from you watching yeah. you and and i and i guess always what i was telling this other woman is like she just walked right up to me after the talk and was really forthcoming and was asking me questions and that's what it really takes it's like ask people to do studio visits ask to go to different people's studios and it's build your own community Com- try to connect with people that you think you would connect with like if you mm-hmm. love their work say be like hey can i come to your studio or hey can you come to my studio you know it's I think working in person is a lot more important than cold calling and just emailing out your portfolio to random people. I think you really have to build with really the thousands of other artists with the thousands are... of other artists. Yeah, there's you... nothing wrong with that. I, I personally don't think even if it's just getting your gears turning on how do I craft an email or like maybe the person that receives the email is like, oh, there's another one from Regina or there's another one from Kevin. It's still I kind of look at it as it's advertisement unwarranted advertisement but you're still do it's better than doing nothing i mean it's i have okay. those people on my newsletter oh and newsletters are important if you talk about that um which, which i is? which i discovered just because so i had that solo show last year and i didn't really i haven't sent out a newsletter probably ever um but i had a, i had a list of like 300 people and then i added you know people that i really galleries that i really like or people that i really like or collectors that i just know that necessarily collect my work but are in around miami and all the email uh blast apps you could see the open rate and you could see who opens and who reads and who opens it twice and who opens it three times who do you use um i used mailchimp at first and now i use squarespace because it's just through my website and so with square squarespace you can match your website to your newsletter so the font color all that jazz so it's super easy it automatically matches everything how does if I wanted to get on your newsletter list? How do how would one do that? I have a link on my Instagram, or you could go to my website, and I think there's a on the contact button. There's a newsletter thing. So um, maybe this is a good spot to wrap it up, and you could say what your website is again. Oh, my reginagestro.com, or on Instagram, it's at reginagestro. So I guess in closing, I like to kind of thank people for maybe things that I've learned from them. And I think one thing that I've learned from you that is a takeaway is I appreciate your tenacity. You're always have been a hard worker and inquisitive. And I don't know, that's kind of inspiring. So thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you. Yay. If you have something that you want to hear or somebody you would like to be interviewed or yourself, you can email us at the10frame at gmail.com. Or you can also direct message us through the Instagram account at the10frame. Bingo, bingo, bongo. Yep. Peace out.